Well, good morning. It's still morning, so we can say that. Thank you, everybody, for coming out to this morning's uh, Good Friday service. Uh, I'm going to start with a weird question to start a Good Friday message with. Anybody here ever watch the Batman TV show from the 1960s? Nice. Nice. <laughs> when I was younger, I loved that show. Um, and contrary to the kids in my youth group's beliefs, I was not old enough to watch it live. <laughs> Just saying that, kids in my youth group. Marcus, I know. I know. <laughs> Um, every, uh, every time I would go spend the night at my grandpa's house, though, I would watch it because, um, he had Nick at night and it was always on Nick at night for like, it was like a three hour marathon of it or something. Um, but, uh, of course I would watch it. It was Batman. It was awesome. The, the half hour episodes, they would always be two parters though, um, and the first episode would always start with a crime being committed by one of uh, Batman's many colorful villains. And then Commissioner Gordon would call Batman on the red bat phone and usually get Alfred. And then Alfred somehow they didn't know that it was Alfred, but um, would contact Batman. And then Batman and Robin would slide down their poles and get into their costumes. And it was awesome. Right. And uh, they would go and, and investigate and uh, kind of figure out where the crime was happening or, or the next thing would happen. But eventually they would end up meeting the villain and then getting caught in some elaborate trap that would be fairly ridiculous. And they'd be put into a slow moving um, torture death thing. And then that's where the, that's where the, uh, it, right, right. And that's where the episode would end. And the announcer would come on and he would say some puns about how were Batman and Robin going to escape. And then he'd end the show the same way every week saying, find out tomorrow, same bat time, same bat channel, right? And every week would be the same. Batman and Robin would fall into what would seem to be a hopeless situation. And how would they ever escape from it? So many stories over time have used this kind of trope, this um, device. And it's an effective device, right? They put their hero into a situation that seems impossible to escape from. And inevitably, just like Batman and Robin, they would escape, learn from their ordeals, go and fight the villains again, and then win. This time, save the day, beat the bad guys. But for a short time, you know, especially when... Uh, directors and, and writers would start to change it up a little bit and and have the bad guys win, um, sometimes it makes it seem like things might not work out, that this might be the time where the bad guys win. And maybe this time is different. And this is all well and good in the movies. Well, most of the time, things do work out pretty well for the heroes. They escape. They go on. They defeat their enemies. Well, remember today on Good Friday, while it's being told to us as a story in the Bible, this actually happened. And for those who were there, for those who were closest to Jesus and closest to the situation, it probably would have seemed hopeless. It seemed like the darkness had won. Our story begins in a garden, 
And in this garden called Gethsemane, Jesus is praying to his Father in heaven. This prayer is unlike many that we've seen him pray, because it says that he's overwhelmed with sorrow, because he knows what's about to happen. But he says, Lord, not, Father, not as I will, but as you will. May your will be done. Jesus is prepared now to go into his final hours knowing what's coming. And with him are his disciples, 11 of them. Three of them are, are close with him as he prays. And they're supposed to be keeping watch, but they continue to fall asleep. And it doesn't seem like they're prepared for what's about to come. They're not really worried. They're not prepared. And then the 12th disciple shows up in Judas. And he's showing up with a crowd. And Jesus gets arrested. And it's here where we see one of the disciples, John, um, says that it's Peter. And he takes out his sword and he cuts off the ear of one of his servants, uh, one of the servants of the high priest. And Jesus stops him and, and he submits to the arrest. And then he goes off with the crowd. And it's at this point in the story that those who were following Jesus, those who had been with him for the past three years of his ministry, they were afraid. And in Matthew 26, 56, it says that all the disciples deserted him and fled. They deserted him and fled. There was even a young man who was following Jesus, and in Mark's account, he writes that this young man, he's only wearing a linen garment, and when they went to seize him, you know, he ran away and, and left the garment behind. What was happening wasn't what the disciples thought was supposed to happen. I don't think that they really ever expected to be betrayed by one of their own. Uh, there's a crowd. That, I don't think they're expecting a crowd to come and arrest their leader. And because so many times they had tried this before and Jesus had walked through it or walked away. And that made them afraid because this time was different and they ran away. And for most of them, we don't see them again until a few days later. But in Matthew's gospel, one of them does follow the crowd to the courtyard of the high priest where Jesus's trial is beginning. In Matthew 26, 69, it says that now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I, I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow is with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, well, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then, then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed, and then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter, who we often call the spokesperson of the apostles, follows Jesus to this trial. And, and when he's confronted in the courtyard about being a follower of Jesus three times, he denies it. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. I mean, even the, the last time he's calling down curses, swearing he didn't know Jesus. 
And just that night, Peter had said to Jesus following the Last Supper, Passover meal, Matthew 26, 33, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. But he did, and they all did. Jesus' disciples, when he was arrested, ran away. He was alone during his trial. He was alone as he hung on a cross. We take the time each year to remember what happened on this day some 2,000 years ago. The sacrifice made by Jesus as he was nailed to a cross, hands and feet. Crucifixion was one of the most excruciating forms of execution. It was perfected by the Romans. They didn't want you to die quickly. They were trying to make an example out of you. They wanted other people to see. And it would have been extremely painful, even without having been scourged as Jesus was beforehand. Jesus, the Son of God, was condemned to die a criminal's death among criminals. He was nailed to a cross, bared for all to see. He was insulted by people passing by, by the soldiers, by the criminals who were crucified with him, by the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he would die on that cross. And it's no wonder, really, why the disciples fled. It appeared to be a no-win situation. It wasn't supposed to happen that way, or at least that's what they thought. Try to put yourself in their place while all this is going down. Your leader has been arrested, tried, and executed within a matter of hours. You've got to figure that the people who killed him are going to try and find his followers. And so they fled and they hid. Jesus dies on the cross, and it's not even one of the 11 remaining disciples who come and take his body down after he dies. It's two religious leaders who were kind of like secret followers of Jesus, and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And the next time we see the disciples, it's later, but they're together, but they're locked behind doors, afraid of the Jewish leaders. Is likely the darkest time of their lives. But that's not where the story ended. That was just a cliffhanger. Jesus was unjustly arrested, tried, and executed. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. But he didn't stay there. And while that Friday, 2,000 years ago, was, was one of the worst days imaginable, it was necessary. As it's written in Isaiah 53, verse 12, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus bore with him to the cross the sins of man, of all humanity. And he died as the perfect lamb of God. His death is the punishment for our sins. The perfect atoning sacrifice, taking our place. And yeah, it was a dark day, that Friday, that we now call good. But that was the plan all along. God himself became human, born of a virgin in a tiny town just a few miles from Jerusalem. He lived a perfect life so that he could be that sacrifice that we needed. He never sinned. 
We were not able to do that on our own. And so God sent his son. John 3, 16 and 17, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he say this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that's why we take this time on this Good Friday, and it's to remember the sacrifice that he made. That was a bleak day, a dark day, sad day, scary, especially for those who were closest to Jesus. But that wasn't the end of the story, because as we now know, Easter was coming.